What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a podcast about generational wealth, finance, and business in general. But before we introduce today's guest, my brother Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight? Well, today's spotlight, because we are celebrating Juneteenth, um, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, because June 19th is celebrated as Juneteenth in the United States and many other countries as well, historically Juneteenth commemorates a defining moment in American history and our history, of course, not just his story. On the June 19th in 1865, the ban of the news of the Emancipation Proclamation and the end of slavery by Union soldiers in Texas, where the news has been slow to arrive. Juneteenth is thus a joyous holiday celebrated among friends and family with song, dance, storytelling, food, and prayer. But the holiday commemorates and celebrates timeless truths as well as the historical moment. It reflects the universal dreams and freedom of community. It celebrates the resilience and steadfastness of the human spirit and the achievements of the contributions of African-Americans to this country. And it carries the reminder that this country has not yet fully accounted for and repaired the harms that was done to African-Americans. It is especially meaningful to celebrate Juneteenth now, even as we mourn and organize after the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and so many others. The poem we rose by Christina Kay has been called one of the official poems of Juneteenth. And it's titled, We Rose. And from Africa's heart, we rose. Already a people, our face, a bond, and bodies are lean. We still rose. Skills of art, life, beauty, and family, crushed by forces we knew nothing of, we still rose. Survive we must, we did, we rose. We rose to be you, we rose to be me. Above everything expected, we rose. To become the knowledge we knew or never knew, we rose. Dream we did, act we must. That is my spotlight for today. Thank you, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday's History Spotlight. Like I said, we do a spotlight every Sunday. Now it's time to introduce our guest. By the way, happy Father's Day, happy Juneteenth. Let's introduce our guest, Dr. Carol Ann McClinton Martin. She's a principal at one of the prom most prominent Central Florida elementary schools. She's the CEO of the Stream Educational Consulting Firm. She came to Florida from Trinidad and Tobago. Over 30 years later, she has four degrees, including a doctor in executive leadership from the University of Central Florida. She also attended Harvard's Graduate School of Education Principal Center. Welcome Carol Ann McClinton to the show. Dr. Martin, how you doing? Welcome to Black Men Sundays. We are so excited. Like I said, we've heard a STEM. We haven't heard a stream. What is stream and how you doing? Oh, Corey, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, it's such a pleasure, such an honor. Um, happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth to all of your listeners and subscribers. It's such an honor to actually showcase um, on this very significant day, um, especially honoring um, a show like yours where you are bridging the gap in generational wealth, especially for African-American males in our country. So, you know, hats up to you for what you're doing. And I'm um, such a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, um, you shared that my name is Dr. Carol Ann Clinton Martin. I hold on to Clinton in honor of my dad who uh, migrated his family um, back in 1984. He realized that in Trinidad and Tobago, he wanted to uh, he knew that times were gonna change and that he wanted to create an opportunity of endless possibilities, I'd like to say, for his children. So he decided to come to the, migrate to the United States for us to live our American dream. And I have to say that, you know, part of me completing my doctorate last uh, August was to honor his legacy and his dream. And my mother is still with us and I know she's very proud of um, what I've been able to do continuing the legacy of education in our family. One thing that you guys don't know is that the school that she's a principal of in Central Florida, I've been a guest like the last six years at the teaching. So I just want to, you know, on my show, I want to thank you for 
continuously inviting me back. I remember when I got the email the third year in a row, my boss, my news director, and my executive producer said, wow, Corey, you must be doing something right. They keep inviting you back. So I just want to salute you and thank you for that. And, you know, we have some exciting things coming in the fall that we're not going to mention yet, but I want to just dive right into the stream. Like I said, you know, we know about STEM, but let's dive right into what is STREAM? So STREAM is an acronym. Um, you're going to hear it now more so in the world of education. If you ask me, it birthed in my mind at a professional development in 2014. Um, I've always been um, affiliated with uh, struggling learners, students with disabilities. And I remember when STEM was coming around and I'm like, wait a minute, we need to teach kids uh, different ways to learn. So I always love the idea of STEAM, which is you know, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. And again, in work in my field of work, in my career, there were always students who struggled with reading. So it's like, we can't get to any of it. Students can't access STEM without the R. Um, and stream, because it's performance matter, you know, it's like performing arts or visual arts or fine arts, of course, students can access that through movement and play and, you know, um, theater and different things like that. But you can't get to the rigorous content of STEM without reading. So that's where stream, you know, was birthed in my mind. And then um, just through my experiences, you know, I have been coined as a transformational leader going into first a separate day school, elementary separate day school um, within uh, Central Florida and bringing about change in that environment, then going into a high performing school in Central Florida and having an opportunity to bring about change in that environment. Um, and then the current school where I am, where I inherited that school as a C school and, you know, brought it up to a B, um, had an opportunity to, to earn um, bright futures from the state for having three consecutive years of continuous improvement within that school. So that's what STREAM is all about, wanting to help others, other leaders to um see how they can develop systems and structures when it comes to supporting struggling learners, especially in the areas of reading, and also how I can help them to, to support students all together um, with a focus on reading, because you can't get to the rigorous content without reading. Let's talk about the STREAM Academy. I feel like that's a revolutionary move. You know, you're a principal of a prominent uh, Central Florida school. So just talk about the idea of the Stream Academy? Well, if I could take a little bit from what um, Eric did at the very beginning of the show from the poem, um, we rose and the last sentence is dream we did, act we must, right? So Stream Academy is a dream of mine and I am now taking actions with um, my business partners, nonprofit enthusiasts to develop a logic model to get me prepared to open up Stream. Um, I am definitely a proponent of public, public education, and I definitely believe that there is much that can be accomplished through public education, hence having the um, educational consulting firm, because I want to continue to develop other leaders. I want to continue to show them how they can develop systems and structures in order to support struggling learners, as well as high-performing learners, and of course, every student in between. But Stream Academy is all about the word all, you know, creating a learning environment where all students can have access to rigorous education. And the reason why I would say all, when you focus on all areas of content, not just, you know, the two main areas of reading and mathematics, but showing students the why behind why are you learning to read? Why do you need this math content? Through some real world applied experiences, hence why you were invited back six years in a row. Um, you know, teaching is a wonderful concept that happens once a year, but what if you establish a school structure that that was routine, where you had community members coming in and working with through mentorship, through um, sharing their experiences in the real world of work, where science is applied, technology is applied. I mean, even with just what you're doing right now, there's technology involved, there's reading involved, there's engineering involved, there's an art that's also involved, the art of speaking and communication, and just showing students the why behind those other pieces of content 
and giving them opportunities to read more about the things that they're interested in. So I got to give you a little background. Uh, the guy that actually introduced me and Corey Murray is kind of Corey Barnes, right? So he's probably one of the most intelligent, not black men, but people that I've, I've known since kindergarten. Went to Columbia and just, he's always been a, a cut above us in grades. I get to be, he was always getting A's, right? So one time I asked him, I said, man, how are you able to always get all these A's, have a 4.0 GPA, go to an Ivy League school? And told me that when he was a little boy, his mom made him read encyclopedias. Like, hey, uh, just from your PhD and your dissertation studies, how does the practice of effective reading affect overall development? and career success of students? You know, Commissioner Scott, that's an awesome question. And I love the fact that you gave that anecdote about that friend of yours and the encyclopedias. I remember growing up with encyclopedias. And the great thing about encyclopedias is that you can choose the content. See, reading is more about, um, and when you look at research on successful individuals, yes, they are avid readers. But you know what they're reading about? Things that they're interested in. They're reading about personal development. They're reading about how to make themselves better at something they already have an interest in. That's where the success in reading is, is, is where successful people who read, they're reading things to improve the things that they care about. And that's what an encyclopedia does. You have an opportunity to choose uh, a particular topic or content. Yes, you might do research, but it's the opportunity for choice is what creates that successful individual in the arena of reading. Just not learning how to read, but what you provide students to read. Hey, Corey, my wife has a question. Perfect, let her go. Nice to meet you, Principal Martin. I'm Akila Dogbe. I'm a principal in Washington, D.C. Nice um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this move um, nationally towards um, reading instruction, focusing okay, more on foundational skills you. instead of um, kind of like the balanced literacy approach that we've been taking for years, especially around teaching kids to read in context through um, you know, complex texts and books like that, but really kind of shifting this whole focus back to like just very hardcore phonics instruction and foundational literacy instruction, kind of to, I look at it as kind of like throwing out the baby with the bathwater, <laughs> kind of like just kind of like, you know, education that these pendulum swings. So kind of like shifting all the way back to the left and just around how you think it will affect, you know, kids of color um, specifically and our ELs, um, just around your thoughts around that. Um, that's actually a very good question. I do believe it needs to be a healthy balance between the foundational skills and rich and access to rigorous text, right? What we have done, I believe, is that we did let the pendulum swing too far to whichever direction you want to say, where parents can have a, play a key role in supporting that instruction, you know, bringing it back to the foundational piece can give parents an opportunity to be more um, helpful, I think, in the overall instruction. You know, when I, when I saw one of the questions that someone brought up about reading and, and comprehension and, you know, how do you really bring about comprehension? When you think about reading comprehension, it is very complex. But when you just think about literacy, and that's what foundational skills lend itself to, is literacy. And if we can get parents to just understand some of the foundational pieces of speaking to, to their children, listening to their children and having their children to listen to them, um, enunciating words in, in the phonetically um, way that it is actually sounding out the words phonetically as you speak, that speaking goes to listening, which goes to writing, which then goes to understanding, which goes to comprehension. So I am definitely for a swing back to foundational skills because I do believe that, especially in ELL homes or EL homes, I know in different parts of our country, we call them different things, um, students who acquire English as a second language and or homes where there is you know, um, not a high status of, of education, everyone in the home knows how to speak, whether it's in that English or in their common language. And if a parent understands that all I need to do is to ensure that when I am speaking, my child is listening, and that I am speaking in a way which my child understands, and then I'm checking that homework to make sure that that child understands what they're supposed to do with homework and they're reading it to me, hey, read it, the example to me. That's some of the basics that a parent in EL homes and in our lower socioeconomic homes and or homes where there is not you know, higher level or post high school education where they can now play a key role. 
Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I definitely love our profession of educators. And I was like, let the educators be the educators. Let's get into that complex text as the educator. But let's give the parent a little something more that they can work out to sort of bring about some equity of what some of our children get at home where others don't get the same level of support and service at home from the parent. I hope that answers what you were asking. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I just, I just think it's an interesting um, conversation. And I do feel like the equity question of it is being left out of the debate. Like I know it was a big thing about two weeks ago when Lucy Calkins finally decided to, I never liked, um, I was never a big fan of Lucy Calkins' uh, curriculum. I never had to use it, thank God. Um, but I thought it was a big thing when, um, you know, they were like, oh, she's gonna add phonics and things like that. And I'm like, well, you know, in my school where, you know, I came into a school where, I mean, even my community is 76% illiterate. So um, I, literacy has been a big, big driving factor of the community work we've been doing at our school and our school. And it was also the driving factor to getting us our gains year after year. And not just, you know, just not just like the speaking, writing, listening, express yourself, but also like also financial literacy in the community, you know, having um, the, the literacy around tech and all those things, like we kind of use a whole a whole model around that and what I don't want to happen is for our students when they out like my school is 100% African-American 100% free lunch in ward eight what I don't want to happen is for kids you know to really dive in and to get that guided reading instruction and instruction literacy with complex text until they're like in third grade because we're like oh no it needs to be these groups and it needs to be when we know that kids that are in different socioeconomic situations do have encyclopedias in the home where they can read they do have a lot of my kids they don't see complex text or get that guide instruction until they're in the building and so I just really think we have to think about equity when we think about having a balanced literacy right and that's exactly balance is the key I wouldn't say swinging the pendulum all the way back to just straight foundational um, you do need to um, get the foundational in order for the student to access that rich text so I think that's why it's swinging the way it has or that it is because they realize we have some foundational pieces that are missing. You have students and adults for that matter that still don't know how to conjugate words properly, don't know how to spell those words properly, how to use them correctly in a sentence. Um, having, you know, so it's definitely a balance. And I think as educators and especially as leaders in a building, it's up to us to, and I don't know in, I think you said Washington State, how much, um, you know, uh, autonomy. Washington, D.C. It's, it's D.C. It's not the state okay. okay. I don't know how much autonomy you have as a leader to bring on supplemental materials and or other materials that you believe the students in your building need. Um, that's one of the things that I do um, appreciate about the district that I work in is that as a leader in the building, I do have some say in what my demographic needs. So I'm hoping that in um, where you are, that as a leader, you have at least some say, knowing that that balance is needed, that you have the funding and the autonomy to bring that balance in for the demographic that you serve. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think. Um... And also, I think just, um, and like you said, like around like bringing the families, and I think one of the biggest shifts I've seen in just like our community has been as the parents got more literate, um, so, so, so do the children, right? And so absolutely like I love seeing the joy on parents faces when they can help their students and when they and when they when they're coming and asking me like you know what their child is reading and like what they're doing like I just think um I love like the idea of stream like what you're doing there because I do think reading is like a huge I always call it like the great equalizer so like you know being fully literate so um and I just think like as all of us I don't know who else is on this call but everyone should really be paying attention to like how literacy is being taught in your kids' schools, how it's being taught in your community, what are the literacy rates in your community? Because I mean, that is a big predictor um, as to like how, you know, your county, your state or whatever goes like, and I just don't think, think people pay enough attention to it. Um, and I just like, I think as a principal, what made my job much easier is when I got the community on board um, to basically like, you know, read or die. Like, you know, we have to, we have to read. So I love the idea of stream. I have to read much, read back up on it, but like, that's, that's amazing. Yes. Reading is the key to the acronym of stream. Yes. But there's literacy um, in science. There's literacy in technology, in engineering, in the arts and in mathematics. 
there's financial literacy. And I think the way that we can tap in and strengthen our schools um, is this concept that I am, I, I have lived in my current line of work and wanting to branch out and share with other leaders and other educators is there is literacy to what, you know, Corey is doing right now as far as being a, a news journalist and doing a podcast. There is literacy, you know, and if we show students different aspects to liter literacy, right, different types of literacy and how they can then now um, generate excitement towards going to read about that thing that they're interested in, you know, which, you know, ties back to the, the earlier part of the show with the encyclopedias. It's about giving students an opportunity to tap into something. That's what stream is about something that they, that sparks their interest. And then they will have a desire to go find that book. And I think it's through exposure and access to different types of industry in the world of work with when it comes to science, technology, reading, you know, um, engineering, arts and mathematics. There's so many different industries that tap into sometimes all of those, you know, um, content areas, but exposing students like a, a, a all day teacher, if you want to call it, you know, because that's how I met Mr. Curry, you know, where they develop different types of literacy that excites them. And then they want to go find that book that has something that they're interested in. I want to go back a little bit, though. I want to go back to your dissertation on the house system, where you analyze those six schools. And if you can um, just talk a little bit about that, and you know, this is Black Men Sundays, it's a financial generational wealth show, but you know, you can't be, you can't have any wealth if you can't read. One of the the foundational experiences I have um, with my, I don't know, first degree was I have a bachelor's in, in, in psychology and then a master's in uh, varying exceptionalities, which varying exceptionalities was working with students with mild disorders. Um, in my early career, I was a teacher at what's called a separate day school for students with emotional beho behavioral disabilities. And you can tap into the research of the category or the higher the percentage of um, students that are in that particular emotional behavioral disorder. I think um, when I started off, the, the rate was 71% were African-American males that got the title of emotional behavioral disorder. I don't know if that's changed. I haven't tapped into the research recently. Um, that was earlier in my, in my career as an educator back in the 80s. Um, and it didn't change much, even as a principal, you know, inheriting a, a uh, elementary school and again, predominantly um, black males uh, with emotional behavioral disorders were uh, at that school. And um, what I have discovered was that, you know, those students that they wanted to categorize that African-American male, and I'm saying it in that tone because that's how it was presented oftentimes, needed to be taught differently. They needed someone who cared about them. They needed someone who could make a connection to what they were interested in. They already had um, severed relationships and experiences in their life. And school was not one that helped to heal or bridge a gap for them. It just continued and um, perpetuated this lack of trust for adults. Uh, and I believe it's through my experiences working with students with emotional behavioral disorders, which were struggling learners, which were students who um, struggled reading and passing any state assessments. In order to reach a student or to teach a student, you first need to reach a student. So the house system and my research is all about that. Um, reducing barriers to learning through connections connecting the child to individuals in the building more than just that classroom teacher, but to someone else who they might affiliate with, whether uh, mainly through the house, but they also may make a connection with because of who they, they see that person to be. My research um, actually had four questions. Uh, the title was the impact of the house system um, in elementary schools, uh, an impact on student achievement and uh, school climate and student achievement. And, um, and I was looking at the impact of that. I had the opportunity to um, go to Ron Clark Academy back in 2018, the summer of 2018. And at the time in our local school district, um, there was a push in a regional area to, for us to go to that uh, private school and see what they were doing and see if we can bring back, you know, some ideas from there. And what, um, 
a lot of us brought back was the house system. And I, you know, implemented the house system in my school using the acronym of STREAM. You know, other schools chose to use what was from Ron Clark. Um, the STREAM acronym, like I shared, was birthed in my head back in 2014. And I was like, oh my gosh, here's this opportunity to use this differently, um, to use this acronym now in science technology. So we have you know, the house of science, the house of technology and such as that nature in doing so, it just started like making me wonder, like there was something different about this. The, the school that I was, um, that I inherited at that time, there was definitely a disconnect between the adults in the building and the students in the building. Um, you know, the school was high performing and then the performance level started to slip and I inherited it when it slipped. And, you know, we went to Ron Clark Academy and we brought this house system back and things began to change a bit. So that's what sort of piqued my interest. Like, let me do some research on this and come to find out there wasn't much research at all, which made my topic uh, good, you know, in the area of dissertation world. It's like, you want to find something that has a gap in the research. So there wasn't much out there about the house system and especially not on the elementary level. They had a couple of things in private schools and in uh, middle schools, but not much in elementary schools. And um, I looked at six schools that actually went to that professional development. Um, four of them implemented the house system and two of them decided not to. And in my results, which was surprising to me because I thought I would see school climate because I felt like there was just a different you know, climate and culture that was being established at my school with what we were doing. I did not include my school in the study, by the way, because that would have been a conflict of interest. And I wanted to make sure there was a nice, clean, you know, research study. And uh, come to find out, when you looked at the six schools, the four that decided to implement and the two that didn't, there was a significant difference in suspension rates, which relates to the African and male community. You can do that research yourself and also performance in our state assessments in reading and math, meaning that uh, the schools that uh, implemented the house system, they had a lower suspension rate and a higher achievement in both reading and math. Now, mind you, this is not a generalizable study. There was already a gap in the research, but it makes you pause and say, hmm, there must be something going on with either the leadership or the schools that decided to implement a house system. So bridging that back to students with disabilities or even you know, ELL students or students of color, what I have experienced that where I currently am is that being a part of the team building structure of a house system reduces barriers to learning. Students have a sense of belonging, especially if it's done well, from day one when they enter the building and they're welcomed into a house. It's, um, and mind you, I'm not part of a sorority, but it's similar to that feeling when you are part of a sorority or fraternity. And, you know, and I've seen it with friends of mine who are where they will meet someone who is a complete stranger, but they know that they're part of their sorority and it's an automatic friendship, an automatic connection, an automatic, you know, hey, I can trust you type of thing. That's what a house system does. And if we create that opportunity in kindergarten, especially for our students with disabilities, especially for our EL population, we are more than likely able to create connections for them that can improve their outcomes as students. So that that environment in which I worked before where there were students with disabilities who are predominantly African-American male, if that African-American male is given an opportunity or any child is given an opportunity, but specifically that subgroup that was always disenfranchised and placed in that setting that I worked in, to connect with individuals from day one, I believe it can make an impactful difference and make change the trajectory of that child's life. Hence my wanting to continue the research on house systems and seeing what else there is that I can find out about house systems. Um, and in discovering this research, I realized um, because someone had uh, on my, my committee had an issue with the word house, you know, and being on Juneteenth here, it's, it's, it's key. They asked me during my proposal to consider renaming my title and using the word house because of the negative connotation it might mean. And it took me a moment to like, you know, I remember talking and debriefing with my chair afterwards, you know, because I'm just, it's just a proposal phase and I'm already getting some feedback that I'm like, not sure. And, 
you know, somehow this person on my committee related the word house with house slave. And, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, we live in houses and we create that a home. This is what the system is called. It was established in, 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 in England. Um, the way we know it here in the United States is through Harry Potter, but you know, the Caribbean islands and especially where I grew up and it was like an awakening for me in Trinidad and Tobago, we had house system. You know, I was in the, the house of Chaconias, we were flowers. Um, and, uh, you know, I even reached out to some of my family in the Caribbean. I was like, hey, do you have any research on the house system? And they were like, you mean the way that we, we handle discipline and, and, and do team sports? And I'm like, yeah, she's like, no, <laughs> why? Because it's just a way of life. It's the way that they manage behaviors and it's the way that they, they build camaraderie in their schools. So that's what I would love to do um, in public education in the time that I'm in it. Um, I would love to shift it to ha have people to understand, like create these opportunities for children to build relationships, healthy relationships with adults and reduce the barriers to learning from day one uh, so that they can have an enriching academic experience um, by reducing that barrier and seeing what, what we can come up with and, 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 and change when it comes to education. I wanna go back to the STREAM Academy. I just wanna talk about how are you able to do this? Do you have partners? Like, are you doing this by yourself? Like, how are you able to, because um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another thing to be able to execute. Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely believe in the power of coaches, right? And coaching is usually someone who's an expert in an area that can come out and support you into something that you're wanting to learn about. So for me, you know, I've had this dream of a school, you know, not knowing that I wanted to call it Stream Academy. And it's still a dream that is coming to reality. You know, I'm acting on it. Uh, and I, you know, just through talking to a friend, sharing my dream and connecting me with uh, some individuals who are now become my business partners, um, Lashina Williams and uh, Joe Tolliver, who are the owners and founders of Nonprofit Enthusiast. Uh, they are coaching me through how to develop uh, what's called a logic model, which will be the, the basis and the understanding for why do we need uh, a school like Stream Academy? Um, and coaching me through that whole process to the point of uh, getting it funded. So um, you need to tap into, I would say, an expert in an area when you have an interest in something, just similar to what you're doing here with financial literacy, right? It's about tapping into experts that know something that you're getting some nuggets and some feed, you know, information from so that you can move forward in that area that you have an interest in. So I have some business partners who are coaching me through this whole process, holding my hand, taking my dreams and capturing them in a concrete way um, and developing a plan of action so that it can be execu executed. How will the Stream Academy um, work to benefit you know, financial literacy since that's not being taught in schools? Right. I'm glad you brought that up. So mathematics, right? I would be looking for Stream Academy is would be looking for uh, business partners, community members whose expertise is mathematics. That could be an accountant, that can be an investor, that can be a financial advisor, that can be, I mean, you name it. When you think about mathematics, right? There's so many aspects of our world of work, real world work that involves mathematics. So getting um, those individuals to connect with Stream Academy to come in. And like I said, Corey, it's like a everyday teaching. Having those uh, individuals to come in and just partner with the school, mentor with the kids, show, educate us because you can, absolutely, you have done that in, you know, over the last six years at my current place of work, where you're educating students about what you do. Um, and that's, the missing component, I think, is that, you know, uh, and I, I am doing it right now in, in the current situation I'm in, but I want to do it in a more strategic and focused way 
where we expose the world of mathematics, the world of mathematics, the world of science, of course, you know, you get the acronym, but the world of mathematics to students. And that's even, yeah, banking, financial literacy, having that banker to come in. Um, why would you even want a credit card? Why do you want good credit? You know, do you need a checkbook still with this digital age? You know, uh, someone who talks about Bitcoin and, and just expose, it's about exposure. It's about exposure. It's about just you giving children an opportunity to hear something in how it's being applied in the real world so that it matters to them when they are now given that mathematical concept that they need to master. You know, literacy and, you know, uh, math skills that are needed and just making it, I guess, plain for for the, for the children of tomorrow on why you need these specific skills, why it's important to have these, these mathematical skills, how they translate and correlate into the, to the real world, you know, and, and, and getting kids exposed, you know, the younger, the better, get them exposed to um, real world application, you know, get them surrounded by, like you said, bankers uh, and uh, people that invest um, that use these applications. So they say, they, so when they're just sitting in class and they're saying, well, why do I have to, to learn this? This is not going to be any good for me when I, when I grow up, getting them around people and they're saying, yes, this is, this is how I use this and I apply these skills every single day, whether it be, you know, from just basic uh, multiplication and division to the, to the, to the higher math courses that you may encounter, one, uh, you know, uh, later on in school, how they, correlate and help you in the the real world just like anything um my my journey started um i think Corey uh, alluded to um someone being on the call from uh, a week ago i think they went to accounting school i think you said and then they blew through two hundred dollars uh, two hundred thousand dollars um it's just the exposure uh you know uh of of information uh and the earlier you get it uh the better uh, and I can relate, you know, I went through formal schooling, but it took me years and years to realize how to apply it in my own, in my own life. And to hear, to hear that, you know, and I shared this with Corey before, you know, some of our great sports athletes, you know, Tiger Woods, Venus and Serena, they had, you know, Venus and Serena, I think it was age two or whatever. They had rackets in their hand, Tiger Woods, same thing you know, why not in the K-5, you know, from kindergarten, exposing students to something that they might be interested in earlier on to see what comes of it, you know, what strengths can be developed from earlier on. Um, you know, if someone had put, you know, a, a video camera in Corey's hands, you know, in kindergarten, who's to say what he might be doing now, you know, the same thing, but maybe at a, a, at a different level, who's to say? Absolutely, absolutely. We actually got our first kindergarten student the National Engineering League uh, oh, K-12 okay. initiative. And uh, so his parent had contacted me said that their kid wanted to be an engineer. I said, okay, does he know what an engineer is? And he didn't. So I talked to the kid on the phone and said he wanted to be an aerospace engineer. So we got him designing an airplane. It starts with the drawing, which is the art part of the stream, right? Yes. He's going to do a little reading, uh, background information on what aerospace is and what engineering is. And we're going to give him a monetary reward for it at the end of it. It's just going to be a report on his level. I think, like Dr. McClinton and Martin is talking about, planting that seed early, like Serena's dad did, like Tiger's dad did. We need to start planting these seeds from a, a mathematical, from accounting, from engineering, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I think some of the, uh, the speakers that Corey has on the show, you know, if kids are listening to it and their parents are listening to it, it'd be a good teaching moment for them to go, sit down with them and tell them, hey, what is it that you want to do? It was amazing. I used to ask my, my parents, you know, what did you want to be when you get older? And no one had ever asked them that. This one, they, they were in their 50s, right? So it was like, we got to start asking these questions. And we get, we identify the problems real well. Let's start putting some solutions early in these kids' heads. Just like Corey is attach, uh, attacking generational wealth, uh, the problem that we don't have in our community of having a generational wealth. That generational lack of literacy also you know, we got to start doing something for that as well. And just understanding, okay, you may not be an engineer, you might not be an accountant, you might not be a rocket scientist, right? What is it that you're really interested in, all right? Let's develop a curriculum for that. I got a cousin, he, uh, you know, he said flat out he didn't want to go to college. Okay, what do you want to do? Well, he wants to get into multimedia and all that stuff. Sat down with him, we'll start a business up, his LSC started. I said, do you know the literacy of 
business, right? You know what a cash flow statement is. Do you know what an income statement is? No. Well, next time we talk, here goes some links. I need you to have a regular basic uh, conversation about it and have realistic applications when Nelson talked about a minute ago. Let's apply this knowledge. Let's put it on the terms that we can understand it, not just uh, use these big words as way up here. We don't quite understand it. Let's break it down to the, the young people. So based on what they want to do, understand the language of it, which is what uh, the doctor is saying, but the literature piece of it. So I think it's important that we uh, we plant these seeds. Great job on what you're doing. Anything I can do to help from my end, please let me know with the house engineering and uh, job well done. Oh, thank you. One thing I wanted to mention, Dr. Martin, is like I said, it's been a privilege to come to your elementary school for the last six years. Now, you know, with the House of Engineering, you're allowing me to come once a month. So I want to salute you on that. Um, we're going to have a good time. Um, you know, the House of Engineering will be mixed with the uh, National Engineering League that I'm the Orlando Orbit president of. I just want people to know that. And the thing about the National Engineering League, I'm not just going to the school showing showing the uh, students about what an engineer does, bringing some engineers in. Yeah, so we're going to have that coming up. But I just, you know, I just want to salute you and thank you for that. Because, you know, when I was a kid coming up, you know, I was one of those kids watching, uh, you know, the TV station, um, reporters and photographers would come, engineers would come from um, like Lockheed Martin. And then because at the time I was in the uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia area, people from the Newport New Shipbuilding would come. I mean, you know, it was a whole setup, but what really intrigued me, I just knew that, you know, I wanted to be on the media side of it, not just for the accolades of the television, but I just knew that the camera is a powerful tool. So with the camera and with this medium and with my mission, um, I was telling my wife, you know, I think, I think I know what I was put here to do now. It makes sense. I work for a news station that's about getting results. I do Black Men Sundays that gets results for men 29 to 55. And then guess what? When I come to your school, I'll be talking to their students. So to me, it's like a full, complete circle. I just want to thank you for coming on here. Like I said, no one talks about financial literacy in schools. I mean, I've had, like I said, at least five speakers say that. So the fact that, you know, your stream uh, academy is going to have that incorporated into the curriculum. I'm just like, wow, I already know Nelson's. Nelson and Commissioner Scott's going to sign their kids up, as you know, Nelson's a Henry, so. Oh, okay. Awesome. I got one more question. Uh, we're focusing on, you know, the up-and-coming leaders and the children and students. Um, what I've noticed is a lot of adults, I would say maybe 45 to 64, you know, I don't know how the educational system was in certain parts of the country when integration took place, but, you know, some of my elders in my family, like, they can't read and comprehend stuff on a acceptable level, right? When it comes down to paying bills and talking to people, right? So it's like, are you aware of any online resources for adults uh, that come to utilize or enhance their reading and comprehension skills that some of them are scared to admit it too, they're embarrassed, right? right? So I was just wondering if you knew any. Well, I would say, um audible and audiobooks um, and all those types of mediums for adults that's a lifesaver technology has saved the world of literacy for the illiterate adult i mean you can do speak to text you can have you have different programs that help you with grammar help you with spelling you know all of that so it's up to the adult to really want to enhance and or improve their current level of literacy because it's out there. Um, some are free, some are paid. Um, I would say to segue back to what I said in the beginning about what really creates successful individuals is reading content that's important to them. So I would say to any adult out there, I'm, I'm sure you're already connected to some world of work or something that you're passionate about, something that you want to do, that would be the first text that you want to get on audio. And if you're like, no, I'm not connected to anything, then you need some personal development tools. Um, you know, there's some books out there that there's a list of personal development types of books. And I don't want to drop any names of any. I don't know if there's any reasons why I couldn't. But, you know, there's one book that changed my life called The Four Agreements. Uh, and that helped me on my journey to health and weight loss, you know, helping me to shift my thinking and my understanding of why. I made this subconscious decision to not take care of my temple, 
And now that I've shifted that thinking, I have a different understanding and a different relationship with food. And again, I got a coach to help me with that, to help me, you know, uh, understand the importance of health and, and understanding why my brain did what it did. And my mental outlook about food and, and health was just not where it needed to be. So now I start reading about other healthy, healthy people and weight loss journeys of other people and different things like that. So for the adult that's out there that is, is looking to improve their literacy, find something that already interests you, get it on audio um, and listen to that. And especially like audio that also has the text going along with it can help to improve your ability. How about just turning on the subtitles on your favorite movie? <laughs> you know, there's so many things that you can just do passively to when you do it purposefully to improve something that you, you want to improve, like reading and like literacy. How does reading play into STEM? Like, how would I try to convince my daughter that reading is important for her to learn these things regarding science, technology, engineering. What I'm trying to say is put it forward for a, a child to understand. I, I think I heard someone say it earlier on, you know, sitting with your child and just talking to them, like, what are you interested in? I think it was Commissioner Scott. He said, you know, just sit down and say, hey, what are you interested in? Um, that would be the first question. Hey, what do you like? What do you like to do? As a parent, it's easy to kind of observe, observe that as well. You know, what gets your child all excited? And then you strategically think about is there science involved in that? Is there technology involved in that? Is there engineering involved in that? Is there math involved in that, right? So if you think about like, uh, my child likes going to a theme park and they have roller coasters. Oh my gosh, science, technology, engineering, and math are involved in that. And start um, connecting that fun thing because that's the, the other part of stream. It's about making learning fun. You know, connecting that fun thing that your child will want to now go read about, okay? It might start off with, depending on the level of literacy of your child and the age, you know, third grade, I'm hoping she's able to read fluently, but if not, that's okay. You can start off by reading the book to her, especially if it's a complex text, and then giving her the book to read about it because it's something that she's interested in. Also, if there's any authors out there, figure out how you can make informational text fun and interesting for kids, you know, um, that's the, the next line of things that I, I think needs to happen is to make, you know, informational text fun and, and, and cute. So kids want to pick that book up and learn about engineering. Appreciate that. Cause she likes to draw a lot, but I'm trying to push her into that whole STEM because I told her dad's not going to pay for you to go to college. You get a degree in sociology, which is nothing wrong with that, but I want her to get, you know, something on engineering, something mathematic related. So Dad, architects draw. Architects <laughs> are a form of engineer. Chemical engineers draw too. Those are oh. uh, voices that you see so significantly designed. Those are artists it, that saw it first. It's about us thinking differently. See, you're thinking art like just drawing. When you think about, again, I'm going to take a theme park, for example. All of that wonderful, beautiful things that you see in theme parks and the, the scenes that they created, it took an artist to create that scene first. Then it took an engineer to figure out how to create that structure that looks like a rock. You know, you know and I talk about Disney, you know, you go there, there's fake trees, plants, rocks, all this kind of stuff. Someone had to draw that first. And then a scientist had to come in there and create some kind of chemical scheme to figure out how you're going to make this look like a rock. And then an artist came in and figured out, you know, how are we going to make this really look like a rock when it's really plastic? A uh, mathematician had to figure out, you know, about the roller coasters. I mean, it's just for us also when we're sitting with our kids, thinking about what we do differently through the ends of like, when do I use science in my work? When do I use technology in my work? We know we use reading, but the piece is getting them to be interested in reading by figuring out what else interests them, sparks their interest. So they want to go pick up that book that has something that matters to them so that they do read and become more literate. And also it's like, a, you know, kind of multiplying the emphasis of it, because it's like if that child who's interested in, in what Commissioner Scott talked about with uh, aerospace engineering, and that's child every time they go to Barnes and Noble or wherever is saying, hey, mom, dad, can I get that book on aerospace engineering? You don't have to force that child to read. They want that book on aerospace engineering because it's something that's interested in. So the same thing with, with your daughter, it would be figuring out what she's interested in through art that has STEM infused. 
Um, and again, I'll speak to the authors out there, figure out how you can make that happen so that kids want to pick up books um, that talk about STEM. A lot of people, when they think of a private school, they think, oh my gosh, it's super expensive. I'm not going to be able to afford that. You know, what are going to be the qualifications for students to get into the STREAM Academy? And if there are any costs associated at this point. Yeah, so I'm really at the foundational pieces of that. And um, it's about equity and access stream. So there are grants um, that specifically speak to creating opportunities for um, students to go to private schools. You know, I'm definitely a proponent of public education. If, if I can sit on a table of influence and restructuring to say, hey, I really have some ideas of how we can restructure public education, that would be my preference. It really would be. But, you know, it's about, you know, and I'm hoping this conversation does that, you know, that there are people who are listening who are like, um, you know what, we do have too many parts of our system that it's not working well. Maybe we need to restructure public education because it is still by far the means to bridging um, generational gaps when it comes to socioeconomics is public education. But um, it would be about providing equity and access through scholarships, sponsorships. I want that's, you know, where the community partners come in, you know, getting them to see that um, if they can support these learners, you know, from, you know, K on, they could be their workforce of tomorrow. So hoping that they can see the longevity of supporting learners in a school like a stream academy um, and how that can impact them by them having opportunities to learn about the world of work from kindergarten. Nice. Great information. Thanks for joining us today. I salute you. You know, you could have been anywhere in the world it's Sunday. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being our guest speaker. I salute you. I respect you gratefully. Um, and, you know, coming in this fall, you know, when you, know, when, when you talk about the sponsorships and things of that sort, that's what I want to bring to your school and hopefully bring to the STREAM Academy uh, with the support of our National Engineering League president, being the Orlando Orbit president. Um, we want to provide some sponsorships to your school as well so again thanks for joining us thanks for uh providing this phenomenal information because we always talk about money 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 and we really talk about health we really talk about our kids so the fact that i had you on here it really bridges that gap um and i again thank you for joining us on black Men sundays i salute you and thank you and enjoy the rest of your week thank you so much for having me on Check it.